going through our sermon series called Who We Are. We're going through our fluencies, kind of who, who we are as a church. And I want to ask you a pretty important question that we kind of started to answer last week. And that is, what is church? Now, this is actually a harder question than you think to answer because followers of Jesus have been trying to define this for thousands of years at this point. And if you look back, though, in the scriptures, the earliest church methodology that we see in the New Testament reveals that churches were not defined by structure or size or the type of people or certain types of people, like a priest or a pastor that had to be there. So let's look at some of these key passages in the New Testament. Ask yourself, how is church being defined? All right, so we're going to start in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. It says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that everything, in everything He might have the supremacy. All right, so the church is being defined here as the global church throughout all the world because Christ is the head of all the churches, all the gatherings in His name. All right, now let's look at Acts 9.31. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Sumeria, or Galilee and Samaria enjoyed the time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So this is a church throughout an entire region, right? So you have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? So this is actually one of the reasons why we're trying to plant 67 microchurches in 67 counties all over the state of Florida because we know when we do that, A, we're being... Uh, we're, we're being proper to like this biblical call to just kind of go out into the areas that we are over and around, but also because when we strengthen the church in the area, it also strengthens the church in our Jerusalem, Gainesville, as we're getting better and sharpening leaders and getting them ready to go. I mean, there's just a, there's a blessing that comes when we do what God tells us to do. All right, let's look at another verse. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, it says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be the saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. So we have the church in the city of Corinth that's connected to the global church as well. Last one, Romans 16, 5, it says, greet also the church that meets at their house. So we have a house church in a particular city. So looking at these passages in the Bible, the idea of church is not relegated to a structure or a place or the necessity of a specific type of leader. It seems to be a, a gathering of any local group of any particular size that's gathering in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It seems to infer that any local gathering apart, that is part of the universal church is defined as the local church. Now, just because three Christians are meeting in Starbucks doesn't mean that church is happening necessarily, however, right? So Greenhouse, we say that church is happening when there's a worshiping community on mission. And we kind of take our cue, again, from the Bible. So Acts 2, 42 through 47, last one here. This is an early account of the followers of Jesus right after his resurrection. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came on every soul, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had everything in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Right, so they gathered, they're lifting up Jesus, they're devoting themselves to his word, they're worshiping, they're praying, so there's elements of worship is happening. There's community, they're caring for community, they're sharing in their community, community is happening, and there's mission, there's, there's day by day, people are added to their number, those who are being saved. So we said, like Pastor Mike said last week, if there is worship, mission, and community taking place, we believe the church is present. You also realize in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that they met in the temple together and they met in each other's homes, which is fascinating to me, right? You could say that there's gatherings in the temple and in the homes around the table. So there's, there's table and temple worship. There's table and temple community. There's table and temple mission and outreach. And honestly, we've gone all in here at Greenhouse in this table and temple paradigm of church. You know, we call these first century gatherings in the temple, our Sunday gatherings, our macro churches. We call these table fellowships that happen in, in homes, our, our micro churches. And we feel like both of these are full expressions of church and they complement each other to give us what we need as the body of Christ. And this is where we're heading today. We're gonna talk about our microchurch fluency and why we've put all of our eggs in this both and basket. Because for us, it doesn't matter if there's four people in the room or 4,000 people in the room. The church is alive, active, and healthy if they are a worshiping community on mission. Right, a Sunday gathering can be defined as church. A gathering, a microchurch gathering that meets in the living room of a home or downtown with the homeless or in a juvenile detention center, that can be church as long as it's a worshiping community on mission. For us, size doesn't matter. Content and expression does. See, macrochurch, the Sunday gatherings, our church, microchurch gatherings that are in the places that maybe someone who would never step into this building will go to is also church. Now, hands down, the most frequently, the frequent response that I get when I'm explaining to somebody who's new to Greenhouse, when I'm talking to them about microchurches, is they say, oh, that's kind of like your, your, your church's small groups, right? And on the outside, I say, oh, no, they're, they're pretty different. They're pretty different. And I have a smile on my face, and I'm, I'm really, you know, just kind of being nice. But uh, have you ever read in the Old Testament where the Israelites are so grieved that they gnash their teeth and they rip their clothes. They put sackcloth and ashes on their head. Like, that's how I feel when somebody says, oh, like a small group, right? My eye starts twitching. I can't, I can't like, I can't get, get past that. I even wrote up like a seven-point treatise of why microchurches are not like small groups. If you put that slide up there for me. Um, and and, and I'm, I don't have time to nerd out on this right now. I, 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 I'm going to hit one of them. I'm not going to hit all of them. If you want to email me and get like the five-page version of why I think this, I would love to geek out with you on that. But of these seven points, the most significant one I've already kind of hit is that microchurches are the full expression of church. We defy this current American mentality that church is on a Sunday for two hours in a big kind of anonymous gathering with other people. We believe in the temple and the table, the macro and the micro, and therefore we believe that microchurches are the church. We are a both and in our ecclesiology. So why, why have we made this move? Why have we made this ecclesial move in this direction? It's because we're so convinced that this is how the world gets changed, okay? We've already looked at the scriptural basis for this methodology, this ecclesiology, that seems to be the catalytic way that the church turned the world upside down. It wasn't contingent on one person or one personality outside of the person of Jesus, right? The early church had some heavy hitters. They had James, Peter, and John, and they gave their gifts to the larger body, but they were not the only ones responsible for proliferating the gospel of Jesus, and they were not the ones who had to be at every single one of these microchurches to help them flourish. 
You see, because they had the same template in the early church, we're talking about the, the re revival at Asbury, which is kind of connected to John Wesley, like the Wesleyan revival also kind of took this idea of like this, this ecclesial structure and he put it into practice. So the Wesleyan revival had three different things that they would do with post-revival um, um, converts. They would have them go to three different places, societies, classrooms, and bands. And go ahead and put that slide up there for me too. Societies were likened to a Sunday gathering, large group gatherings centered around learning. Classes were smaller groups of 10 to 15 people that were focused on changing behavior. And then they had these things called bands, which are four to six people of the same sex, marital status, and general age that focused on changing emotions and motives. And within these breakdowns, large masses of people were effectively discipled in different ways. Leadership in the early church structure and in revivals like the Wesleyan revival were not just reserved for the religious elite or the classically trained. The primary focus of leadership was to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and not have one primary communicator grow in popularity or with their platform. So we structure similarly the macro church, the micro church, and what we call discipleship groups. This is a very biblical model that has withstood the test of time throughout church history. When the world gets turned upside down in the first century in this pre-Constantinian era, it's because believers were empowering every Christian in the temple and day by day at the table to be in worship, to be in community, and to take the personal responsibility to be missional and share the gospel of Jesus. And this radically altered the course of the world. Compare that to today, where the average American Christian comes to church once a month or twice in a somewhat, like I said, anonymous macro church gathering and they don't get connected. Friends, Gainesville's not getting changed by once a month Christians who their functional Lord is really their kids' sports or their hobbies. Florida's not getting changed because every Christian aspires to be with other Christians twice a month because the gathering with God's people is such a low priority. But the thing about microchurches is it's not just scratching this ecclesial itch. It's not just this idea or notion of, of revival, right? Microchurches are also where the church becomes small, where the church becomes intimate, where the church becomes an incubator for your personal calling, for your growth, for your discipleship. Because here's the reality. I have never really seen someone who comes just on a Sunday become an actual disciple, period. If you wanna be a disciple, you need more than just Sundays, right? You're not gonna progress the way you want if we're just here for two hours on a Sunday morning. And with the size of our church, I'll be honest, I have not seen people properly cared for or holistically cared for if you just attend Sundays. It's just not gonna happen. The majority of people who ask our pastoral staff for counseling are not in microchurches. The majority of people who have financial struggles that ask the church for help are usually not in microchurches. The way we structure the church is that microchurches are an absolute non-negotiable for you being seen, for you being loved, for you being cared for, for you being nurtured and discipled and mentored and sharpened and encouraged. It's where you find your calling. It's where you find your purpose. It's where you start to engage with the mission of God and the people of God. Sundays are not enough. If you want the full expression of church, it's a both and approach. It's the micro and the macro. Because when deep problems arise, the people who get their needs met are the people in microchurches where church is small enough where they notice you and your situation. 
Do y'all remember that show back in like the 80s, Cheers? Right, what was the Cheers tagline? Where everybody knows your name, right? Any 90s kids, anybody watch Martin? Anybody watch Martin? Yeah, there you go. Like, did anybody watch Friends? Okay, like, I, I, I loved Martin, I just like, but you, you, you watch these shows and Martin and Gina and all their friends, like they have all these wild things and, and I never really watched Friends, but it's like Ross, Rachel, Chandler, like the, that, that whole crew, right? They have these crazy times, but they're always there for each other, right? Even the Friends theme song says, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Why do you think these shows were so successful? It's because they exemplified what we all really wanted in community, but barely any of us actually have. So we have entire generations of people who outsourced their longing for this type of community to a band of people who deeply loved and cared for each other. That basically got relegated to a fantasy TV show where we settled for watching someone else engage in the community that we wanted. It functionally became community pornography where you watch someone else experience the community that you really desire to be a part of. And this is why microchurch matters. This is why coming to a Sunday or watching online is not going to cut it. We need small church. We need micro church because in the loneliest culture ever, we need somebody to stand by our side and actually be there when we need them to be there. Yeah. And this happens around the table in a microchurch because when we're in microchurch, we're in fellowship around the proverbial and the physical table, right? Acts 2.46 says every day, every day they broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you had somebody over or you went to somebody's house and you shared a meal with them and you just laughed and had such a genuinely good time that you forgot about your worries and your cares? My hope is that it hasn't been that long, but if it has, we need to get back to the fellowship around the table because in microchurch, we fellowship around the table. Now, microchurch, micro like community, there are all these different types and elements and aspects of community. One is just being fun. Like, I just like being in community. Like, my microchurch has multiplied about 10 different times. And when we multiply, there's always three things that happen. Because when, if you know the Ulriches, when we do something, we do something big, right? So it, if we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate, okay? So there's three things that happen. The apprentices get prayed for. We have an epic party. And the apprentices get to choose the theme of the party, all right? So put that, put that slide with the pictures up there. So we've had multiple different types of parties over the years at our microchurch stuff. We've had 70s parties, we've had 90s parties, 80s parties, we had a pirate party, we had a ninja party, we had a time where we played human foosball. I mean, we, we, had, we, we, go, we go all out. Like we had breakdance competitions at our 90s party. I mean, we have fun with this. We celebrate with this. You know, because community can be fun, but it always isn't about fun times either, is it? Sometimes the most beautiful things about community is just sharing life together. Just being with people in the day-to-day when you really need them to be there. So check out this video of, of Jared and Katie Feria and their microchurch, kind of sharing their heart about living in community. I'm born and raised in the Christian matrix. I've 
been involved in paraministry for the last 20 years, and I can't tell you how many times I've been part of groups where people were reintroducing themselves to, the, to each other every week. When you cross that threshold and you really give everything to, to this idea of intentional community that Jesus is, is laying out in Acts, you start remembering each other. And we're trying to embody that in all of its messiness, because it's messy. You know, kids break stuff, uh, we're replacing things, People, you know, disappoint, but then there's also the joys on the other side, there's the celebrations of life. And we always say, what? Discipleship's caught, not taught. So it's like, oh, when we're modeling this for each other, um, the hope would be then that they would pick up on, wow, this is a really safe place. So that's oftentimes one of our primary entry points is, hey, we're just having dinner on Thursday night. How about you come? Um, and I think that it kind of gives people an in to get to know people just on a personal level. You know, we've been in this house for five years and the whole miracle of how we got this house is really the Lord's provision to make space for the messy and to make space for living life in the reality of all that life is. And when I approached Katie a couple years ago and I said, listen, I really want to start using the house. I mean, practically speaking, a lot of eating. get people around a table, get some good food, break some bread together, and enjoy some beverages together, and, and just talk about life. Getting away from this dichotomous thinking of, oh, let's get spiritual now and have a Bible study. Jesus said, he shared his last meal with them was a Passover meal. They're, just, they're breaking bread, they're, they're enjoying the conversation with each other, they're just being together. That's just as spiritual. Playing pickleball. You know, um, inviting people over for a meal at your house, opening up your space. You know, that, those are all ways in which I encourage people to, to be vulnerable. Open your life to people. Mm -hmm. Isn't that beautiful? You know, a lot of times, you don't really even know that you need community until it's too late, right? But that's the beauty of being in community is that when you have those potentially too late moments that come, you're actually already embedded in the community that you really need. And I'd say one of the most absolutely beautiful and meaningful communal moments in my life that have to do with microchurches is when Tracy and I found out that we were going to have our first baby girl, Lathia, right? For those of you who don't know, she was diagnosed with spina bifida. We did a lot of things, even pre-birth for her. Tracy went to Vanderbilt. We went to Vanderbilt. She did an in-utero surgery where they literally opened her up. They took her uterus out of her body. They opened that up. They did surgery on Allie's back, put it back together, put it back together, put it back together. I mean, it was pretty complicated things that were going on in these early times. We're first-time parents. We're just trying to like really struggle with, with wrapping our head around what was going on, mitigating kind of our expectations in a healthy way, and to help people understand kind of the, the headspace that, that we were in before Allie was born. We would read this excerpt from this article by Emily Kingsley. She was describing her experience at, with raising um, a child with a disability to help share with people kind of the unique experience to understand it, to, to help them imagine how it kind of feels. And she said it like this. 
She said, when you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks, you make a wonderful plans, the Colosseum, Michelangelo, David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. And after several months of eager expectation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several, hour late, several hours later, the plane lands and the stewardess comes in, comes in and says, welcome to Holland. And you say, Holland? What do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is they haven't taken you to some horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. You must learn a whole new language. And you meet a whole new group of people that you've never met. It's just a different place. It may be slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy, but you've been there. After you've been there for a while, you catch your breath and you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone knows, everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about how wonderful a time they have there. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, yeah, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned, but if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't go to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and the very lovely things about Holland. And as we shared that vision with a lot of people, we kind of, again, explained this is kind of where we're at. And so we go up to Vanderbilt, we're coming home from this surgery, um, and we get to our house and Nancy Lash from South Florida, um, let's see, Daniela Bersian, Lisa Strickland, a couple other people from our microchurch, they had gone to our home. I'm ready for it this time. <laughs> um, they went to our home, and in our carport, they put up a banner that said, Welcome to Holland. And inside our house was hundreds of tulips in little vases and little handmade windmills all over the place. And we just felt so seen is so loved by our community in one of the most trying and hardest times of our lives. And man, I want every one of you to be able to not have to sing the Friends song to feel that glimmer of community. I want you to have people in your life that you can say, man, this is my community. I'm going to be there for them and they're going to be there for me too. And here's the deal. I wish I had time because I could sit up here and rattle off hundreds of stories that I've heard personally from microchurch leaders and from microchurch members. I've performed a wedding in a microchurch. Any of you who have been here for a while, it was in L2 at our old campus because they said, you know what? These are the people we care most about wanting to be a part of our marriage vows, right? We've had members of our church, they've had babies and I didn't even know about it. I'm, I'm like really bad at staying, I'm just not cool. I'm not really on social media. I don't know, like, but, but Trace would tell me, oh, do you hear about that person? I'm like, no. And I go and I'll say, hey, what, you had a baby? Why didn't you let us know? They're like, oh, it's fine. My microchurch leader is at the hospital. They've already set up the meal train. We're good. We didn't need to tell you. I was like, well, I still want to be your friend, but I mean, like, <laughs> I, I get it, I guess. See, when life is lived together around a table, and not just for two hours on a Sunday with a room full of a lot of people you may not know, this type of community can actually root itself and start to take place. But microchurches are not just about community. 
right? A lot of people will tell me, I don't need to be in a microchurch. I've already got a really tight group of friends. I mean, that's another thing. I got a guy like, I mean, that's just a lot of places I need to be, blah, blah, blah. But here's the deal. Like, I love that people have tight-knit groups of friends, but is it church? Is it church? Is there worship? Is there mission? Or is it just community, right? And that's the beautiful, community is a beautiful part about microchurch. It's just not the only part. We don't just fellowship around the table. We also commune around the table. In microchurch, we commune around the table. And what that means is that we are spiritually connecting with God together, right? I'm becoming more and more convinced that this Western idea of a personal relationship with Jesus is damaging our relationship with God. Is it personal? It absolutely is. Is it private, which is what most people interpret personal as? Absolutely not. You can scour the Bible. You won't find anything in there about a vision of a private, isolated relationship with God. And you sure as heaven won't find anybody thriving in that situation when you look even real time or in the Bible as well, right? Because in community within the microchurch, we're able to unleash spiritual gifts. We're able to find what our apest is, the ability that God has given each of us for the purpose and good of the people around you. And when we commune with God, the kingdom comes. Now, is this going to be an unbelievable experience every time you gather as microchurch? Are you going to hear the audible voice of God and go, oh, Jesus? Like, is it going to be this like amazing time every time? No, it's not. Just like your time with Jesus is not absolutely epic every time that you open your Bible or you pray. Just like anybody who's been married, you don't have the butterflies every morning you wake up 20 years later and say, oh, my God, I'm still sitting right next to her. <gasps> like, it, it, you're like, girl, you need to brush your teeth. Like, it gets real. Does that mean that you don't have moments of glory with God in your personal quiet time? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Does that not mean that I don't have deep, intimate moments with my wife 16 years into this? No, that's not what I mean at all. But if you show up every day and have that time with Jesus, if you show up and actually engage with your spouse in a healthy, positive way, if you show up in a microchurch and actually come week to week to week, your probability of having one of those epic moments with God or with your spouse increases dramatically. And when we're around more people more often, discipleship and mentorship, the stuff that we all actually long for, naturally occurs. Listen, I learned how to pray by hearing other people pray. I learned how to read the Bible by somebody taking me under their wing and say, hey, Matt, this is how you read the Bible. I learned what intercession was by being around a room of intercessors, right? Discipleship is taught, but it's also caught, and you don't do either of those unless you have somebody around you to help show you what it means, right? Could someone hold themselves up in a room with the Bible and just pray to God for hours and have a healthy relationship with Jesus? I would argue no, at least not according to Jesus, he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hangs on these two commands. So I think you could get half of it right, but while we're here on earth, we're called to bring heaven to earth, and the only way to do that is when we are with other people so that they can experience what we're praying for. Now, in the microchurch setting, you know, we, we want to be green, which means we don't just come together to fellowship around the table and to commune around the table. It also means in the microchurch, we bring others to the table, right? We bring others to the table. Man, I, I feel like I'm just supposed to pause, actually, and just, just say this out loud, just like, hey, you, 
you're, you're welcome here. Like, you might, you might be like, Matt, I don't even really follow Jesus. I don't even care. You're welcome here. Maybe you're like, Matt, I, I tried a microchurch and it didn't really work out. Well, you're still welcome here. And, and microchurches is where we, we want to bring you, whoever you are, who are not in microchurch, we want to bring you around the table and do this however we can. Because this is where microchurches, they, they collide with passions and callings and, tes- and talents and abilities and giftings. Uh, it's amazing to watch life happen in varying microchurches that we have. You know, some people pray and they fast for friends and family and coworkers and, and we do evangelism, we invite them into our microchurches. Others take microchurch to the places where people would never really go to church. So we bring the church to them, right? We have Isamar and Myra, they, they go downtown multiple times a week to be with the homeless who might not feel like they have a place in a building like this. We have Murray Brown, one of our elders, he's been going to the, the juvenile detention center for decades because he knows that, man, a lot of people aren't gonna go find those boys and girls in there. We saw Created a few weeks ago. Allison came up and started talking about how they're doing a transitional home. That started as a microchurch and was birthed now into this wonderful nonprofit. Others start microchurches around and help rally people around the giftings and the passions that they have, like Beatrice Farquhar. So she is a woman, she said, Matt, I wanna start a microchurch around paper and scrapbooking. I was like, Okay, okay, that sounds good. All right, let's talk a little bit about this. But I want you to hear from Beatrice. Watch this video real quick. I started making cards and you would card deal and over the years, it just grew to a point that I was uh, pretty known in the world of paper because of the ability the Lord has given me. So I was a guest teacher and a guest designer for many events throughout the country. But when the pandemic came, I went on my knees again and I said, Lord, how am I gonna reach your people, Lord? And he said, Bible journaling. I said, Bible journaling, how am I gonna do it? I need a Zoom account. And the first time that I did Bible journaling on Zoom, a hundred women showed up through this beautiful hobby, they are focused in learning about God, about Jesus, but also inspired by the art and the colors. So what I teach them is that they read a proverb a day, and based on that, you journal. After you do it, you do not forget it. The word spread, because my friends were inviting their friends. There are two of them that are reproducing it and are doing it in their home church. Several of them have been gotten saved and baptized. Many people from other background faiths. And another one, for instance, one of my dear friends, Anna, she got saved about a year ago through this Bible journaling and now she ministers to other women. Anna, tell them how the Lord called you to that. V and I just, when this pandemic started, we we reached each other and then from there we started praying on who can we bring. We love Jesus and we want him in our lives and we all encourage each other in a different way. All through Bible journey. And it all started with a passion. We all have passions. Let it be gardening walking, music, uh, paper, babysitting. All you have to do is share it. 
God has called each one of us to his kingdom through the ability, the gift, the talents he's bestowed in each one of us. In other words, if he's called you to be a musician or a surgeon or paper crafter, that is your community. Those are the people that through that gifting, God wants you to reach, God wants you to share life with, God wants you to walk with them. How cool is that? There she is. Can I just be clear that microchurches don't have to be on a Tuesday night at somebody's house? Right? I mean, so there's so much creativity that God gives us in this ability to be a worshiping mission on community. It can be around paper. It can be around passions. It can be around things that give you angst, like this isn't right. That's how created started, like things that, that, that really do just have amazing ripples that happen because God has given us each a unique wiring, gifting, and calling that he wants you to unleash on this world. And microchurches are one of those ways, one of, I would argue, one of the primary ways he calls everyday people to do amazingly kingdom things, right? So, so this is what we do. We fellowship around the table. We commune around the table. We want to bring others around the table, right? Just recently, there's a microchurch who said someone reached out to them about their microchurch. Um, they're breaking for the holidays. So what they invited them into a, a meal that they were having over the holidays. And in a conversation with one of the microchurch leaders, um, they found out that this woman need, uh, needed a uh, uh, they, she had a need that perfectly matched the microchurch's skill set, right? So this woman was about to have surgery and her bed was, was low and so she had, it was a hard time getting up and she said after the surgery, the bed had to be like really kind of a perfect level so that she could just kind of get in and out of bed very easily. This microchurch, she hadn't even showed up at the microchurch yet. This microchurch goes to her house, totally revamps her bed. Show that picture for me. Like revamps the bed, gets it to the perfect height, really helps her out of a bind. And like I said, they, they, they haven't even really like spent time with this woman, but once before this happened, if I'm getting that right. But they brought their gifts. They brought their passions to the table. Um, and some of these guys, man, they, they are the deepest introverts you'll ever meet. He's probably going to run out of the room because I put him on the screen. But... But the gifts and the passions that even the deepest introverts have bring about kingdom value when we give them to the Lord. Right, this, is, this is what the lady uh, wrote back to them after um, they fixed her bed. She said, I just sat down and prayed a huge prayer of thanks to God for bringing you guys into my life. Your kindness just leaves me in awe of God, of what his children can do, everything. I'm truly so touched and I get choked up when I'm praying. I'm still a little weepy. Sorry, I'm just blown away. Thank you again. Yeah, I mean, that's just, this is what it's supposed to look like, guys. This is the Acts 2, like, man, every day they were doing these things. They were living life together. They're, every day they would eat together. They would, they would give to one another. Like, they're, they're, this is not just pie in the sky stuff that we saw in the first century, and we just, one day when we get to heaven, that'll happen again. No, this is the church. This is what we're supposed to do. 
You know, I've had stories of, of, of a couple who was not saved, would never come to a Sunday, did not step foot in this Sunday gathering. They came to a microchurch. She didn't have any faith. He was a backslidden Christian for years. They, had, they just didn't want anything to do with it. It was a marriage-based microchurch. And they're like, hey, we're getting married. So let's go find like one of their friends. We're like, hey, well, I mean, you can just come. We're learning good stuff. It'll help you out. So they come to microchurch. Eventually, they both get saved. The microchurch leaders go to their her, the, the woman's atheist mom's house and baptizes her daughter in her pool and then has a meal with her atheist mom afterwards. Like, and, and from that, then they started coming to church. But they wouldn't do it before they got connected and plugged in and saved through the microchurch. Isn't that awesome? You know, I wonder, I wonder how many of you are listening right now to this sermon and you're in desperate need of community in desperate need of fellowship at the microchurch table, to commune at the microchurch table, to be one of those people who are brought to the microchurch table. And I know, honestly, it's more people in this room than, or watching online than we'd like to admit. But friends, this is how we're wired. This is what we're made for, to enjoy God and enjoy him with others who know him and invite others who don't to the table. So this is a very simple application from this message. If you are not in a microchurch, would you consider joining a microchurch today? Would you chew on the fact that your career, your school, your family, your life is going to be more enhanced if you thought, or than you thought it would be if you did this? And don't be surprised if the enemy throws smoke screens to keep you from doing this because he knows that this is one of the most powerful things that can happen is when God's people gather together around the table. Is it risky? Could you get hurt? Absolutely. Are you going to get burned? Is somebody going to let you down? Most likely. But friends, we need to start trusting the biblical blueprint that God has set out for us and that he knows what he's doing, right? God is Trinitarian, which means he is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is in perfect community with himself in the Godhead. But Jesus separated himself from the Trinity. And John 1.14 says he tabernacled, he dwelt among us, embodying both the glory and the essence of the tabernacle or the temple worship, and also the essence of properly communing with God and bringing people to the table in community. Jesus made a way for us to thrive in the abundant life that he promised us. He's the hero of the temple and he's the hero of the table and he's the reason and the purpose for both the macro and the micro gatherings. And even though jumping into a microchurch might be scary, it's a biblical one and it's one of the best decisions you can make. So just, just make it today. Make it today. If you're in a microchurch and you're like, Matt, I mean, I already kind of did that. So what do you want me to do? I want you to go all in with your microchurch. Don't make it just one of those things that you go to once a month or, or, or just kind of like, ah, I'll go sometime. Like, man, go all in. What, do you, what can you open your hands and bring to the table and say, man, this is who I am. This is why I'm wired. This is why I'm in this group right now. Because your microchurch leader needs you. We need to equip the saints. We need it not just to be, oh, what are Neil and Sarah going to do this week? Oh, what's Deborah going to do? Oh, what is Rick and Maria going to do this? Like, we need everybody coming to the table and bringing what you have to the table so that we can all be blessed and all be edified by the gifts and the callings and the passions that you have. Let me just have all of our microchurch leaders in the room stand up for a second. Can we give them a hand? Like these are...
in my mind, these are the heroes of our church. They're the people that give themselves, their homes, and their time to sacrificially make this biblical dream a reality in our congregation. They are the heroes, they are the functional pastors of our church. They're who I admire the most, and I thank you all for your love and your sacrifice and your service for the kingdom. Can we, can we say thank you one more time? Like, seriously. All right, you guys can have a seat. And we're gonna end today having them go out into the lobby. They've got their microchurch leader shirts on. It says better together, they're blue. It's kind of easy to spot. And I want you to just go find somebody and introduce yourself to one of these microchurch leaders. Let them direct you into community. And if you're like, man, it's clickish. I just don't know where to go. Well, this is your shot to just start fresh, to hit that reset button and just jump in somewhere. Jump in somewhere because we've got a microchurch for you. So we're gonna end a little early. The application is if you're a leader, go out in the lobby and love on some people and get to know them. If you are not in a microchurch, go find somebody who is. If you're in a microchurch and you're not a leader, I want you to go find somebody you don't know and invite them to your microchurch because we want church to not just be big, we want it to be small. There are things we can do in the macro church gathering we can't do in the micro, but there are things that we can do in the micro that we can't do in the macro. And we need you in both. We need you in both.